This is Ashley Hodge and Kendall Cout with the Sikkim 365 podcast. We're coming to you after Baylor's loss last night against Marquette. We won't talk about the margin, but it was lopsided. Uh, but we really want to look look ahead and not backwards, uh, although we do need to talk about what happened last night and, and what it portends for the future. Uh, Kendall, how you doing? Uh, I am good. Uh, I'm glad I didn't go to Milwaukee, so that's always a pleasant <laughs> thing, too. <laughs> yeah, that would have been uh, brutal to see in person. Kudos to the Baylor fans that were there and stuck it stuck with it to the very end. Um, are, you, are you going to Gonzaga? I know you talked about going. Are you, are you going to make the drive? Uh, I Yeah, I'm still going. You know what? I, I can't quit this team. <laughs> I, I'm still going to be there. I love it. Well, I'm going, too. I'm, I'm catching a flight tomorrow, and I'll be there through uh, – early Saturday afternoon, catching a flight back to DFW. I was I was very happy to see that you can get a direct flight to Sioux Falls from Dallas-Fort Worth. You cannot from Kansas City, so I will be driving. <laughs> and and is it a six-hour drive? Is that what I remember you telling me? That's what they're saying. If I run into some casino in Nebraska and it takes 12 hours, though, it'll take 12 hours. <laughs> What's your plan? Are you leaving uh, early Friday morning? Yeah, I think I'll leave early Friday, stay the night uh, Friday, I guess. We'll probably after party at Applebee's or Chili's or. Um, <laughs> well, we we, we uh, got a bunch Garden. of we got a bunch of Bear fans uh, hold up at the Hyatt place. Uh, it's a new hotel uh, near some good restaurants. I think there's like a Dave and Buster's there close by. We can go watch games on Saturday if you wanna if you wanna partake in the uh, the wonders of the Hyatt place. It's it's one of the nicest hotels <laughs> in town. <laughs> We don't yeah, want to go there, though. We we have listeners from South Dakota, so we, we want to say nice things about South Dakota. And, and hopefully we will be saying nice things after Baylor has a rebound against Gonzaga. Uh, how do you see this matchup? I, I know, I mean, pretty similar teams. I mean, we got two teams that are really offensively efficient, have some defensive liabilities. Uh, you know, is, is do you think that uh, it's going to come down to – who plays the grittier defense, or is this just going to be a U-score, I-score type of deal? I think there's a very good chance it's a U-score, I-score type of deal. Uh, going into the game, I do not have a lot of faith Baylor's going to stop Drew Timmy at all. Right. I don't have a lot of faith that Gonzaga's going to stop Baylor's guards at all. Um, so I guess a stoppable force meets a movable object. Uh, we will see who wins. But I, I really think Drew Timmy's going to go off for like 30 and I don't know if it'll be Flags, uh, LJ, or Key, Ante, that will do it. But one of those three, I think, is going to have a huge game against Gonzaga because Gonzaga's guards aren't very good. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I'm I'm worried about this game for a lot of reasons. Uh, you know, I, I felt better about it before the Marquette game. But, sure, I, yeah. you know, I think that uh, Baylor's front court has potential. But, you know what they say about potential – and um, it is not playing against good competition how Baylor needs that front court to play. I mean, we're going we're gonna to have to see better inspired efforts from uh, Jalen Bridges, Caleb Lohner, Flo Thamba, Joshua Ojewuna. You know, I, I, and, I, and I really do think that uh, the guards need to be more purposeful in trying to get them involved early in the game and, you know, get them touches on the offensive end and scoring position uh, because there, there can be – those guards are so good at scoring, and and Baylor relies on them to score. But you you got to give those big guys touches, or they or they get disengaged, and and they don't play as hard on defense, and and it just becomes a uh, uh, you know a, an unvirtuous cycle as we saw against uh, Marquette uh, last night. Yeah, I I guess do we want to start with the defense. I mean, do we want to talk sure. like player by player? Yeah. Um, I guess defensively. We've kind of been in this uh, lull where we've been like, well, it hasn't been good, 
but should they be better? So the optimistic case is uh, Flagler, I thought, was a really good defender last year. Yep. LJ Cryer played a heck of a lot of minutes in November and December when Baylor had a very elite defense last season. Flo Thamba started and played 25-plus minutes a night as Baylor still had a good defense in most of last season. Uh, that's the optimistic case. The pessimistic case is what's happened. Uh, there's really no other way to put it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, the, there was a way to think Tony Bennett's a great coach. Virginia dominated Texas Tech's no middle defense in the championship game two years ago. Right. Veteran passers, big man, that's unique. But we're kind of at a level now where what scares me about Baylor's defense is you could kind of wish away Virginia and say that's an experienced team. You could wish away UCLA and say not a lot of teams have guards and forwards like Hami Haquez who can post you up like that as well. But once it gets to Marquette doing the same thing where the ball can flip from one side to the other that fast and how poorly Baylor's defended big men in space, it's just like there are so many holes in the boat you got to plug right now that I am getting really nervous about the defense. When we talk offense in a minute, I'm a lot more optimistic about that. But I think the burden of proof is strongly on Baylor's defense right now. And this is the side of the ball that I'm just like, man, I am I'm really worried about this side of the ball. Yeah, and, and you can point to a couple of bright spots defensively. Um, they turned teams over. They didn't turn Marquette over, but you know they're still 31st nationally in turnover percentage on defense. That's good. They're, they're doing a much better job uh, cleaning up the defensive glass. They're uh, 96th in uh, defensive rebounding percentage, and that's the highest it's been in 12, 13 years, you know, for maybe 14 years uh, on a Scott Drew team, so that's good. Um, the, the, the huge glaring deficiencies are three point percentage. They're 333, letting up 40% <laughs> accuracy from three point range. And, and a lot of these are just wide open looks. Their rotations are bad. They're giving up, you know, easy shots. They're, they're not contesting well. Um, that's, that's a bad, um, and then obviously sending people to the foul line. They're 301st in, in, you know, foul percentage or free throw attempts, uh, per field goal attempts, uh, and and that's that's not good either. So so those are the two areas that that need a lot of attention. And you know I think those are fixable things. Um, you know I if if you looked at those four areas, and you told me that they were getting crushed on the defensive glass or you know the offensive re, you know just tons of offensive rebounds, and they weren't turning teams over, then I would be a little bit more pessimistic. But you know I do think you can clean up uh, fouls, and and I also think you can do a better job contesting shooters um you know so by you know that that's the optimistic case is that uh those two things are bad and, and those two things can get a lot better i think my kind of semi-hot take with this is there's a case to be made and i i say semi-hot take is there are a lot of hot takes that can flow right now after a game like that is maybe it's even concerning that baylor's defensive rebounding is that high because there's a show compared to the other baylor no middle teams so you look at 23 where Baylor right now um, is 96 in defensive rebounding last year. Baylor's 212 year before they're 274th year before 261st. So we know when Baylor played great defense, all those seasons ranking fourth, 22nd and 21, but we all know that was a much better defense and that really dragged right. down by some post COVID malaise. And then last year ranking 13th is Baylor's defensive rebounding number being a hundred plus spots better, maybe a reflection that Baylor's not rotating properly, which is why they're fouling so much and they're not contesting shots very well. And so guys are just kind of in the paint because they're not out to shooters or guys are um, in the paint because they're getting blown by and somebody's already at the goal ready to score. So I kind of think if that number creeps up a little bit, 
I'm okay. Like, that's the mark where we talked preseason, and I was like, I'm fine if Baylor's trash defensive rebounding. I'm very scared about that foul number. And the three-point number is like 300, what is it, 322 right now, Ashley? Or... 333. Oh, oh, my God, even worse than I could have imagined in my <laughs> statement. Uh, as you mentioned, a lot of these are wide the heck open, but it's still pretty hard to shoot 39.6% pretty wide open. Yeah. So even if Baylor's defense continues to be pretty abysmal, which it is, that number is going to improve a little bit. The foul line concerns me the most, though, because Jalen Bridges got into foul trouble, it feels like, in about every game so far. And Flo Thamba or Josh O feels like they're in foul trouble every game. And then Caleb Lohner has not done the best job staying in front of guards or gets his hands involved a little bit too early. Yeah. That I, I'm just so concerned about that number. And then it feels like once Baylor gets to that number, I, I just think everything kind of tanks from there. So it's concerning to me that it's both, well, they got to be closer to shooters, but my God, you're not close enough to shooters to contest half the time, and you're still fouling at a at a rate that's unheard of for a Baylor team. So yeah. I am I am genuinely genuinely very concerned about the defense. Oh yeah, no, I I I think uh, I excuse it, you know, uh, quite a bit, um, and and re- influenced heavily by you know the podcast that I did with the coaches this summer, you know. But but one one thing that keeps sticking out in my mind that Alvin Brooks said is uh, he said that. Um, you know, our, our guards know, uh, when to pick their spots, like to, you know, they, they, you know, sometimes know when to, um, take it off the throttle a little bit. And, and when he said that, it worried me, you know, to hear him say that, but then, but then he, you know, he said immediately, Oh no, they're real competitive. I, I think we're going to have a good defense. Um, but you know, I think that, uh, the thing that I took away from last night was that, you know, Marquette was just so comfortable on offense and, and we, at least in the first half, were not comfortable at all. Like they were, you know, in our grill, turning us over, you know, 16 turnovers and, and we need to be that disruptive to other teams. You know, I mean, just to, to allow teams to swing the ball and, and, and not be in the passing lanes. Now, Del Bonner is an exception to this. He does a good job of deflecting balls and, uh, you know, he even deflected a few last night uh, and he was the, probably the only guy that I remember doing that, you know, um, you know, I think I think that's the area that worries me is that, yeah, teams are shooting a very high percentage. I was talking to Jared Hamby about this uh, after we did the podcast post game podcast last night, but they're shooting a high percentage because they're not tired because they're getting whatever they want on the offensive end. When when you play really gritty defense and you make teams work, um, then you know their their legs get tired and and the shots even if they're open don't fall as frequently. Uh, so that's what we need to return to, and we're not seeing that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's bad in a lot of areas. Like, I really went through in-depth watching that Virginia game again. And during a championship season, because offense is way cooler than defense, we'll just be honest about this. Right. Uh, I would rewatch every offensive possession twice, and I would often skip the defense because I'd be like, whatever, Davion Mitchell, Mark Vidal, sure. who cares? Right. People love watching offense. Uh, you could go through that Virginia game and just be like, okay, I don't know what the pick-and-roll coverage is, but I'm concerned that I know – the guard and the, and the uh, big are not on the same page right. because whatever the coverage is, they're playing it the opposite way right now. Like there were two examples that stuck out in my mind, that Virginia game that way. And so Baylor's kind of got to decide, do they look at this right now and just say a little bit more time, stay the course, you know, we got some new guys in the program this year, that'll be enough. Or do they decide maybe we just need to simplify things and say, no matter what, if the ball is on this side of the floor, we are always going to, you know, as they call it, ice the ball screen and keep it toward the sideline. Right. Where we're we going to switch every screen out here. 
and just say our principles might be simplistic. They might be able to beat them down, but fewer adjustments are good because we could hopefully get past that. But I think you can get through Gonzaga and the powerhouse Carlton State. <laughs> Man, so- I'm worried about that game. I am worried about that game. That That's a team that is like Texas Tech light. You know, they're Billy Clyde Gillespie. They put hard pressure on you all game long. Um, you know, Baylor's got to be ready for a competitive war. They're 11th in turnover percentage defensively. I mean, they're not they're not a, a, a pretty team by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, they did beat Boston College by 16 points. Um, you know, they they took Arizona State to the wire. They've they've lost you know pretty close games to Drake and Wichita State. But but I I mean I I think that's a team. They beat Belmont by eight points. I'm worried about that game. <laughs> and they get to the free throw line a ton. So those are the two things so, that we, 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 you know, like they're, they're going to put a ton of ball pressure on us and, and they, and they're second in the nation and getting to the free throw line. And, and that's been a weak area for us. So um, I hope, I hope that, uh, you know, fans aren't taking that lightly and we have a pretty good crowd for that game. So, yes, I would agree. They are a heck of a lot better than the Mississippi Valley States, of the yeah. world, and they're even better than Norfolk state, but you cannot get embarrassed and get 30-piece in Milwaukee and then come home a week later and lose to Tarleton State. I'm sorry. I like Yeah. That's the 19 – Billy Gillespie would take 38 jobs tomorrow before he'd stay another season in Tarleton State. I know there are all these, you know, articles you can read at SI about how that's the perfect job for Billy Gillespie. I'll believe Billy Gillespie is going to stay at Tarleton State right. uh, when I see it. I just can't – I agree with you, actually. It's fair that I should not be discounting them in the same way Mississippi Valley State should. And if you're on the team right now, you shouldn't be discounting anybody with what just happened. But right. That's a team you got to absolutely drop the hammer on after what we just saw. Yeah, yeah, and then and then they got a pretty, you know, I mean, I know people are going to dismiss Washington State because they got beat by Prairie View A and M at Prairie View A and M's home court, but <laughs> but that's a team that's uh, actually pretty capable as well. I mean, uh, you know, that's not going to be an easy game, but but to your point, you know, if you get you get through those games, you got lots, a lot of practice time, and then you got Northwestern State and um, who beat TCU, and then uh, Nickel State. Uh, at the end of December, and and those should be games that you're able to tune up, you know, heading into to practice uh, to conference play. Absolutely. So, I am not willing to say the defense cannot improve. I think it is fine to stick with no medals since that's what you've run um, for the last four seasons now, um, and just try and fine tune it from here. But the burden of proof really is in the defense. And as crazy as some people have been online, the hate for the defense <laughs> is fair. I'm sure the meetings were not fun defensively uh, since that game. And it's oh, kind of I, I, I bet I bet the film review is brutal. <laughs> I can't even oh, yeah. imagine. <laughs> like uh, the, I watched this, the press conference. It looked like uh, that Scott Drew was doing was like four minutes. Yeah. In Milwaukee, and you could tell he was just like, yeah, you know, I, I like the part where he was like, we knew we had some defensive trouble, but we didn't expect to have 16 turnovers. I mean, didn't think that would happen. Didn't yeah. expect that. Yeah. It's kind of like Drew doesn't really get sarcastic. But that was an example where I think he was just like, yeah, yeah, no, this is not acceptable. This shouldn't happen. I mean, people kind of had this view where they're like, oh, you know, he doesn't get angry. He doesn't get upset. Uh, you've told the story, Ashley, before about when they lost to Texas Southern. Yeah. Uh, and players like recounted this one to me, too, where he'll, he posted the record on the board against uh, that conference. And then he put a one on there and walked out. Like, <laughs> Or we saw the, um, the ESPN show last season where after the KU game, you could tell he was animated in Lawrence that, that wasn't them. That's not how they play. So, no, they they get worked up. They understand what they have. Like, part of why I think we're not just sunshine pumping right now 
is the expectations at Baylor basketball are you are a top five program. You have a top five coaching staff. You have an extremely talented roster. You know, this is not a, I don't want to denigrate your football team, but it is not a roster where anybody's going to be okay if this team goes 500 this year. Right. Uh, and sorry if that, you know, feels like a cheap shot right there, but yeah, no. Uh, yeah. It, it's the expectations are still much higher than they became for football at the end, because I don't, again, I don't want to play the programs off against each other. I like them both a lot, but, the basketball program at Baylor is a heck of a lot more advanced than where football is just going to be with economics, resources, everything else. And so expectations are still high for me. I think they can still turn it around, but that's why I'm kind of so passionate right now about this just was not acceptable. Yeah. And I hope that's not representative of who Baylor basketball is this year. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. I mean, the, you know, to compare the football and basketball program is not really fair. Football had a great year. Basketball program has had sustained excellence for a decade here, you know, and and I mean some fits and starts, but consistent a consistent NCAA team, and you know certainly one that you know heading into the season we thought had Final Four potential. Um, you know, let's, so let's actually I did want to say one thing. Yes, credit to Baylor football that its coach could leave, uh, get fired in the NFL, and then get seventy million guaranteed dollars. So. Uh, I, I just, I, I, I'm not taking a shot. I really like Aranda. I really like the football program, but I, I am shocked Nebraska gave him that much guaranteed money. <laughs> there was an article that came out today that he said, um, you know, I, I, if I had it to do over again, I would have taken a different job other than the Panthers. And, you know, Rule was talking about how it wasn't a good culture fit for him, but that, you know, I, I guess the assumption is another NFL. So he's already planting the seeds to, you know, go back to the NFL, uh, two days or three days are on the Nebraska job. So uh, the guy is the ultimate salesman. So congrats to him for planting that seed this early in the process. And, <laughs> and that's why I respect Miranda so much. And that's why I respect Drew, yeah. Jacobs, Brooks, Nunes, uh, Tang staying for so long. Yeah. Just compared, it was, I mean, to me, Matt Rule was out the door day one. Oh, for sure. And that's different than, that's different than the Miranda squad and that's different than the Drew squad. Yeah, I, I agree with you. All right, let's talk about some bad message board takes, and then then we'll um, hit on Cla- uh, Clavin's question, and and uh, you know talk about uh, you know where we where we need improvement uh, from the team in general. But all right, my my I've got a plenty of pet peeves about you know what people are saying on the message board. But you, number one, Adam Flagler can't play point guard. We need we need another point guard. Let's let's pull D'Antoine Grimes red shirt. Let's put Keontae George at point guard. Let's play Adam Flagler off the ball. I mean, <laughs> what are people watching? Like he didn't. He was, you know, he was a bright spot last night, in my opinion. He, he had three turnovers. He did have five assists. Um, you know, I'm not saying that he he played a great first half taking care of the ball. He did not. But overall, I think he's been really strong. Uh, he's made good decisions. He looks for his offense when he when he needs to. He does a good job finding LJ. Does a good job finding Keontae. I mean, I, I mean, what are people seeing there? Like, I mean, what's your opinion on, on that ridiculous take? Or maybe you share that, maybe you share that opinion. No, uh, I, I very much do not. I called Freddie Gillespie today to uh, talk to him about a profile I'm working on on Adam. Not going to release the profile immediately after this hot take is flowing. But this is the take that I disagree with the most for several reasons. Number one, when James Akinjo went down last season, Adam Flagler played point guard for Baylor and was Baylor's best player last season with an offense that, had some challenges playing Jeremy Sohan, who couldn't shoot very well, Kendall Brown, who couldn't shoot super well, and Flo Thonga, who's not going to be a dominant scorer. Right. Uh, number two on this front, uh, he had a few bad turnovers in the first half, but part of what happens when a team presses is the offense is not just point guard runs a high ball screen every time down. Adam had to pass the ball, and then those other players had the other 13 turnovers in the first half. So 
Ascribing the blame to Adam for that is kind of stupid. Yeah. Third is if your critique of Adam is he's not a point guard because he can't take guys off the dribble, I don't know what that means given you can watch the UCLA game where he takes a guard off the dribble, gets into the mid-range, turns around, hits a shot over them. You can watch the end of the UCLA game where he takes a step back three. You watch the second half of the Marquette game where he hits three threes in pretty quick and short order. Yeah. You can watch how well he gets other guys involved. So, no, I think Adam Flagler is the best player in the Big 12 right now. And you can say, oh, well, uh, is it Tyrese Hunter? Is it somebody else? Maybe. Uh, but I think this is the worst take that's floating. Now, look, if Adam Flagler plays horrible against Gonzaga and has three bad Big 12 games or one or two bad Big 12 games, we'll revisit the take. Right. right? We came into the season saying biggest question mark for Baylor was defense, but we are optimistic these things can work well. Right. We have been all along on the train that Adam Flagler is a good point guard. He's going to continue to be a good point guard. And I just don't understand this take at all. Um, I think this is like a misremembrance of what Baylor was like in 21. Like, yes, Davion Mitchell was much better than Adam yeah. at triple three times, go to the left, and go up and score. Um, but Adam's a better shooter than Davion. Um, Adam might be a better passer than Davion was back in 21. Uh, not near, near the defender, obviously, but it's just a gross misremembrance of what Baylor did in 21. And so that coupled with Baylor doesn't run an offense are just horrendously bad takes. Look, I got bad takes. I'm probably going to get curved by some ladies trying to buy endless apps at the Applebee's in South Dakota. I got bad takes, but this, this flags is not a point guard. It's just not a good take. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I mean, I, look, I, you know, if I'm going to be picky on Adam, I'm going to say I want to see more fire from him uh, at leadership wise. And I want to see uh, more defensive intensity. Um, he's a guy that's, you know, smooth. He's, he's super smooth, but you know, I, I want to see more fire, but uh, I mean, as far as him running the offense, uh, I've got nothing but praise for what he's done so far this year. You know, it's not, it's not like guys are just going to roll out of bed and, and give you eight assists and one turnover. I mean, you know, if, if they did that, they'd be in the pros. Right. So um, it's, it's, it's not as easy as that. And and he's going to have games where he turns the ball over a little bit, but overall I think he's been really good. Um, All right. My, my second take is, is Jerome Tang who I love and, and, you know, you know, he played, they played a pretty tough game tonight against Butler. They lost, uh, but you know, it's like, okay, well the defense is terrible because, uh, Jerome Tang left and it, it's kind of the same lazy thinking that's like, you know, well, the reason, you know, Baylor, uh, only won six games this year instead of 12 was because of Joey McGuire. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's just very flawed logic. And, and, you know, first of all, um, you know, all the coaching staff is pretty much intact. Baylor's got a system that works. They they know what they're doing. Uh, drum tank was a big part of that. But, you know, any any piece, any individual piece is not irreplaceable. And I think even Scott Drew would tell you that. You know, if Scott Drew uh, got sick and, and, you know, had to sit out a year, um, I, I would expect, you know, pretty similar results from the program, uh, you know, even without Scott Drew. So, I mean, I, what's your thought on that uh, take about drum tank being – all of a sudden the reason why the defense has gone from really good to mediocre. Yeah, no, I totally disagree. I think if you ask Jerome Tang, he would tell you that's not why it happens. Jerome Tang had a great quote during the uh, Vegas escapade they had during the COVID season when he handled the press conferences while Scott Drew was at home with COVID. And he mentioned it's all about the players. Right. And Baylor has a scheme. Baylor has a system. And as you mentioned, actually, once you kind of start the season, the difference between who's on the bench and what they're saying matters to a degree, but it's pretty small. Most of what ends up happening is player development yeah. and the guys you've recruited and how well do they play. And Al Brooks was right there alongside Jerome Tang 
and we know he's both a really smart guy. Sure. Uh, just from, you know, hearing him, listening to him, his dad's a coach, so obviously he has a smart father, uh, good genetics, uh, real smart guy. And so he's a very smart individual who knows what the defense is. Jared Nunes helps out a lot with the defense now, and they're both more collaborative now. Right. So I think even if you thought, like, okay, was Tang just so involved now that he's gone, they don't know the secret sauce? Well, they will tell you it's a very collaborative approach this season. So you've got everybody there. And I no, I don't think this is the case at all. I think if there's a thing to say about what would Tang be missed the most for a season, it might be that, hey, would he be the guy to light you up? And could that, you know, give you a little bit of a fire for a second? But no, I don't think if if the greatest motivator of all time, if Ronald Reagan were speaking at the Berlin Wall <laughs> level motivation, or if, you know, Barack Obama getting his inaugur- or his uh, speech in Chicago after winning the election. So, yeah. you want politics, we got you both the left and the right there. If you, <laughs> I don't think a motivator of that quality would have changed the darn thing last night against Marquette. And so, no, that's not why it's bad. Um, but Jerome Tang's an excellent coach, doing very well at K-State. We wish him all the best. But he would acknowledge, too, no, it is the players. It is how well they perform from there. They deserve the credit when they succeed. And when things aren't going so well, I think it's on them as well. Yeah, no, I it, now I think there is something to I, I put up a separate post about this. I don't know if you read it. Um, just some feedback that I got uh, last night. You know, there there needs to be the staff needs to hold players accountable. And, you know, with playing time, look, this is the level of effort we expect. This is this is what it means to put on a, a uniform at Baylor. And, you know, if you're if you're not buying into this, um, then we're, we're going to give your minutes to someone who will buy into this. I mean, all those things, I think, you know, are uh appropriate things that coaches need to do and, and, and hold these guys accountable for getting a higher level of effort. Uh, no doubt about that. And I think they will. I mean, I think that was just a shock to everybody on staff. And, and I think you're going to see a, a new level of intensity going forward as a result. Um, and, and then the other thing, you know, is this uh, D'Antoine Grimes, who's a good player. I mean, we saw some great glimpses in Canada, uh, but you know, let, let's be honest here. If, if he was, these coaches aren't hiding him on the bench. I mean, if he was, if he was a player that was ready to take over the reins as the primary point guard and would be an upgrade over what we have, um, you're, you're playing them. You're not red shirting them. So, so, I mean, you know, that's another narrative kind of like the, uh, the Chiron drones, uh, that the coaches have some secret conspiracy that they're holding back their very best player and they don't, they don't want to play him. They're going to go and let him transfer uh, because that's, you know, that's what they would prefer to do rather than actually win, win football games or win basketball games. Um, I mean, that's kind of crazy talk also. Uh, so anyway, those yeah. are, those are a few pet peeves. I just wanted to get off my chest. Yeah. I think Grimes is good, but you also have to factor in getting him in shape to play games at a high level when he hasn't done that before at the high major division one level. By the time you do that, you're either then left with, okay, is Dale Bonner taking another leap offensively? Right. And then where's Langston Love's knee? And then if either one of those hit, then you're like, oh, sorry, we burned your red shirt to once again not be in the rotation. So I don't think that makes a lot of sense to me to burn it. It's not like, yeah, I don't, I don't want to say anything negative there, but I think Grimes going to be a good player, but I don't think it makes sense to burn his red shirt when you have five other guards who play. And your issues def- defensively, and asking someone who's never played high major basketball, who didn't play the first month of the season when Baylor got to tune up against certain teams, to now come in and fix the defense is not fair. Right. I agree with you. All right. Uh, Clavine had a couple questions that he wanted us to discuss on the podcast. Um, his first question is, what happened to the get old, stay old? Uh, we've now seen three very high-profile recruits in the last season, Brown, Sohan, and Keontae, the type of recruits that Drew used to steer away from. 
uh, after Perry Jones III. They're great guys, great teammates, but they have growing pains. And if we have them for only one year, we, we don't get near the full effect, then they're gone. Um, I'll comment on it first, and then I'll get your input. Okay. I, yep. think, I think initially they knew that Brown was a risk to be one and done, but I do think they thought they might get two years from him. And, and I think they definitely thought they were going to get two years from Sohan. So, you know, if you get players of that caliber that you think you're going to have for two years, it's a no-brainer to take them, you know, because, yeah, you're going to have some growing pains that freshman year, but but Sohan was terrific. Brown was uh, way above average and, and a good Big 12 player. Um, you know, they, Brown had deficiencies. You know, Sohan had offensive de- deficiencies, but he was terrific on defense, you know, kind of – uh, you know, Jer- Jared Hamby and I were talking about this almost like a shutdown corner. Like he he could take away a whole side of the of of the basketball court with how good he you know was defensively. Um, but but you know overall, I think they expected two years from them. Now now Keontae they know was going to be a one and done. Um, you know I just think that they thought it you know the the true difference makers in in March uh, and April are are typically guards and. Uh, Keontae has a chance to be a top five NBA pick. He's, you know, I, I would say he's probably hurt himself, you know, in some of these big games with, with decision-making and, and efficiency, he's going to need to get better, uh, to get into that top five range. Um, but, you know, I think that, you know, a lot of guards struggle early on and then, and then they really show out in, in March and April. And we know what the formula is for winning a national championship. It's three great guards that they can all handle the ball, can all shoot threes, and get other people involved. And, you know, so I think they're just looking at that's the formula we won with, and we're trying to replicate it. Two of those guys are older, and one of those guys is a sensational five-star, one-and-done type talent. Yep. Uh, I think it's helpful to take a step back with this question. And uh, I appreciate the question. I think it's a solid one. You're giving the David Randy there. Good question. I appreciate the question. <laughs> uh, what I would say is I think it is kind of an accident of history that David went to the stay old, get old philosophy. So Baylor did not want to stop landing one-and-done talent. Right. Uh, Baylor was in the final three for Julie Okafor and Tyus Jones. Yep. And I know there are some stories that Baylor really thought they were going to get the duo for a while. Uh, I think they were really into it for Terrence Ferguson. Uh, but that relates back to my question. And you and Jason did a really good podcast a couple of years ago, I think now Ashley, with Homer Drew, where I think this kind of question even came up. And I think Homer said, oh, no, Scott still wants to recruit the best players. Yeah. And so their intention was never to forgo one-and-done talent. You look at Perry Jones and Quincy Miller were on one of the best Baylor teams of all time in 2012. And the kind of pit, if Perry Jones weren't on the 2011 team, as bad as it was, it would have been even worse. And so you look at this Baylor team. We always had to take shots that season that we went through. Um, you look at this Baylor team, and Keontae George is one of their best players. And one of the other guys that really wanted to land was Grady Dick in this class. And he's been a great player for KU. And I think if you look at Baylor's roster right now, if you could ask, would you rather have Grady Dick than maybe some other people at their current rate, you might say you'd prefer to have GD. And so, <laughs> yeah, just trying to avoid getting into any of those jokes. You can't take them endlessly. Uh, right. But I don't think Baylor ever wanted to forgo one-and-done talent. I think it's very hard to build a team the way Baylor built it the last time where – getting Jared Butler because Alabama wouldn't clear him. You got Davion Mitchell because Tyler Harris didn't want to come. And then you landed Maceo rightly. Uh, so Baylor got lucky in that sense, but they put themselves in a position to get lucky. If they built a great culture, if they were still nice to Davion Mitchell when he goes to Auburn, if they were still nice to Jared Butler when he went to Alabama. But 
that's a difficult formula to master too. And the real kind of master I think you want is what Baylor's done now. Adam Flagler's old. LJ Cryer's old. Blothamba is very old. Uh, Jalen Bridges has been around for a second. And then you add one or two impact freshmen like they did last season, like they did this season. So they're not Kentucky 2010 where they're rolling out five freshmen. Right. But I think the idea you have to be old is not necessarily true. And I would say Baylor's kind of old right now. I mean, I don't think these guys are partying up at scrubs, but I also think all of them could pretty much get into scrubs besides Keontae. <laughs> well, yeah. So, so my other comment on that um, is, you know, I think that they looked at the formula for 21 and they're trying to replicate it. And it's smart. I mean, you, you got something that works and, and you're, you know, you got Flo Thamba, you got him back, you know, Josh, you know, takes over that uh, John role until John's healthy. Uh, then, then you think, you know, Caleb Lohner is going to give you a lot of what Mark Vidal gave you. And, and you think a Jalen Bridges is going to give you a lot of what a Matt Meyer gave you. I mean, that's, that's clearly, uh, you know, what they're trying to do. And, and then you got a, you know, fourth guard uh, coming off the bench that is, you know, either going to be Dale Bonner or Langston Love uh, by the end of the season that, that gives you kind of that Adam Flagler role on that championship team. Uh, so, so I think that was well thought out. And, and I think that on paper, that all looked, you know, pretty good, um, you know, where, you know, I think that uh, coaches have mentioned this. I, I, Alvin Brooks mentioned in the podcast that I did with him and, and even John Jacobs, you know, that uh, and uh, Nunes maybe even echoed this as well is, is the difference is those guys all played together for multiple years. You know, Vital was there for multiple years. Flamba was, you know, Thamba was there for uh, Flamba. Uh, Thamba was there for um, multiple years with those guys. So there was a lot of chemistry uh, you know, Matt was there for multiple years as well. Um, there was a lot of chemistry that that team had just because they had all played together for so long uh, that, you know, we're, we're growing, we're going through some growing pains. We've, we've got experienced guys, but, but Bridges and, and Loner, you know, haven't played with these, with, the, with this team. Langston loves new to this team. You know, there's, there's just uh, Josh, of course, is new to the team, Keontae. So it's just some growing pains. And, and, you know, I think it was exposed on the road last night, uh, but hopefully we won't ever see a result like that, you know, going forward. Yeah, I, I would agree with all that, Ashley. Okay, second question is, thinking about the defensive end in particular, uh, just the overall maturity and adjustment, the redshirt year was immensely helpful to Flagler, Mitchell, Teague, and others. Now that transfers don't have to sit out a year, we're seeing Bonner struggle last year. I know we wanted to redshirt him, but still. Uh, Bridges is also struggling. I'm wondering if identifying guys who are willing to sit out a year makes sense as it seems to have a huge impact on their development. Um, yeah, maybe. I mean, Bridges actually redshirted. A lot of people don't know that about him. He redshirted at West Virginia, then played two years. Uh, so he's already, you know, used his redshirt year. Uh, so he's he's actually in his fourth year of, of college basketball right now. Any, any comment on that question or that comment? I think it makes sense to say the redshirt definitely helped. I think he's certainly onto something now. But it's that balancing act where – no one's going to want a red shirt now. If your option were yeah, play or right. not play, you would choose to play. And so the quality of guys who would want to sit out a year is going to be diminished. And so you would still prefer, I think, to have a mix. But at the same time, 13 scholarships is probably too many to keep a roster happy all the time. Yeah. And so having a guy like Grimes every season who's cool with saying, hey, I don't have to play. I can red shirt. It's a good thing to do. But your quality impact guys most seasons, you're not going to be able to have that Macy O'Teague or Davion Mitchell set up anymore. Right. I'm interested to see what happens with Jordan Turner. Uh, you know, he's a guy that's been in the program for this is his fourth year. I think that I think it's his fourth year. 
I think it is too, because I think he was a sophomore during the championship, wasn't he? Yeah. Well, now I'm now I'm now I'm uh, I'd have to go back and look at his recruiting profile. I know he redshirted. Yeah, he he's he yeah because of Zach and LJ are third year. It's his fourth year. He he came the year before them. Uh, you know, so he's a guy that's been. He knows the system really well. He knows the defense well. He's got length. I I'm I'm curious to see what happens once he's healthy. If if he can carve a rollout on this team, you know, especially with our need to you know maybe have longer guys that understand the rotation scheme better and and a guy that can really bother you know shooters with his length and and especially if Jalen Bridges is going to get in foul trouble you know he may he may be a valuable asset right and I would have said that's a hot take in June right but I think it's a very reasonable take now and I've thought about this take over the last 24 hours because I'm very much on I think the offensive struggles last game were an anomaly I still think this is a top three offense nationally and so if that's the case you can give up a little bit more offensively if Jordan Turner's not going to be as good breaking guys down off the dribble as maybe some of the other wing options are. Right. That's okay if he can give you more defensively. Now, it might turn out he can't. And uh, he, we, he heard, does a pretty good job offensive rebounding, too. And and he can knock down threes. I mean, that's, you know. Yep. He can do all that. And yep. we'd heard, uh, I think Candy mentioned it in the podcast and some on the forums, we'd heard the same things that Sam Vecini was posting on his mock drafts yeah. that Handy's talking about, that Jalen's been very good this summer. So, Hopefully he can turn it back around because, again, I know people kind of have this perception that these guys, when we talk to them, just want to only sunshine pump. And that's not the case, right? They will tell us some seasons when it's like, oh, my God, this is yeah. where we're terrible. Right. Or I'm really worried about this thing. Or, you know, we just don't have it. Or I remember talking to somebody when Macy Oteague was kind of struggling from three after his wrist injury. And they were just like, man, I'm really worried that Macy isn't going to come back and be able to hit threes for a little bit. Right. And so – we get that stuff sometimes too, and they wouldn't lie to us about. Look, Jalen Bridges was good this summer. Uh, <laughs> right. He is not. He, yeah, he has not lived up to expectations. He would tell you that. I think everybody would. But there's a reason they brought him in. There's a reason they started him this year. I am not selling all my stock in Jalen Bridges yet, just because he's gotten in foul trouble when he shouldn't, and not made some of the plays we'd like him to make. I still have some hope there. Well, and it was garbage time last night, you know, but he did some good things down the stretch. Like, he made some quick moves to the basket. Uh, he had one drive, got to the rim, scored. You know, those those are the types of things that can be encouraging. We've seen him make threes. I mean, he's been ice cold, you know, so far this year, um, you know, especially lately. But but I, I know he's capable of, of uh, being a knockdown three-point shooter, so hopefully that will come around. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's – you know, that, that was encouraging. I don't want to go full RJ Hampton here. Um, who I think was one of the biggest front runners ever, you know, like the guy would always like, uh, you know, get in these games would, would, would do nothing when the score was close. But then when they when he got down 10, he'd score 19, you know, in the second half or something like that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, so we don't, we don't want to encourage that, uh, you know, kind of, uh, Pollyannish thinking, you know, we want guys that can score when the game's on the line, which which we've seen like an Adam Flag or LJ Cryer uh, do that against uh, UCLA. Uh, but but you know, I, I think you know Jalen is a guy that uh, you know. I, I, hopefully, we'll see more of what we saw glimpses of at West Virginia and and what we heard about this summer. You know, I, I think he's a guy that we should not give up on for sure. And Caleb Boner's the same way. You know, Caleb should be a guy that. Uh, you know, by the end of the year, um, you know, or by by February, March, he becomes a lot more comfortable. Now he's he's got, 
uh, he does some good things. He's a little rough around the edges at times. He can be, you know, overly uh, robotic, you know, for, for lack of a better word, can, can be like a bull in the China shop. Um, but, but, you know, we, I, I don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing. We need, we need that kind of like, uh, you know, go for every loose ball, like, you know, cause some collisions, you know, ty- type of player. Uh, so I think he can fit that role for us. Yeah, and I'm not selling on Caleb either. I heard great things about how he was doing offensively with the rest of the team at that scrimmage against LSU. And played well in nice Vegas. Against, he played yeah, well in he Vegas. Had some good moments against Virginia. Yep. Uh, had some good moments against UCLA, although not maybe quite as many. But yeah, I'm not selling on Caleb Bloner either. And so, look, I get it. That was a horrible performance. We had to rank Wichita State 2018, 2019. Was that worse? Was the Texas Southern loss worse? Was First half, Allen Fieldhouse worse. It's never fun when you have to have those discussions, but I still really believe in these guards. It's still a great coaching staff. It's not like, you know, when this was 2011, it was fair, I think, to ask these questions. Right. Because you were now being like, okay, E.J. Walton's never actually played the point. Right. And Miss Darius Dunn's now going to shoot 40 times a game. And is Perry Jones too passive? And what's a Bobo Morgan going to do? Those were all fair questions. I, I think these are still okay questions to ask after a result like that. But I think people are burning the house down, selling the stock too fast. And I, I get football made you sad, but football making you sad in one bad basketball game does not mean you should sell all your stock right now and think everything is done and over. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it is. It is a, a major overreaction. And I mean, you know, Scott Drew has, has earned the trust. I mean, he's he's put a terrific product on the floor for us, uh, you know, for for over a decade. But certainly, the last you know three or four years have been just outstanding. And and I and I think uh, they understand what it takes, you know, to win at this level and, and to win in the Big Twelve. So so let's 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 uh you know let's let's put a kibosh on the uh, this is not an NCAA team. I mean, you know that that kind of talk is just insane. Uh, you know. That, oh yeah, and if and if they're not actually, we'll come back at the end of the year. Sure, sure. Like there's not an injury, and we will give credit to anybody who says they're not a tournament team, and we'll call out that that's just an inexcusable result for a team this good. Right. And we'll, you know, we're not going to be like, hey, fire anybody because the staff's the one national championship, but it will clearly be a huge disappointment and a failure if they're not in the tournament. Yeah. I don't think that's going to happen, but that would be a clear failure. Yeah, no doubt about it. All right, we've gone 42 minutes. Uh, appreciate you doing this. I'll see you in uh, Sioux Falls. I uh, look forward to hanging out with you. Sick and bears. Thank you.